Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network. Uh, I'm your host, Doug. Uh, with me today from all across the planet in our virtual studio are Tiffany, Gabby, and Erica. Hello. Hi, everyone. Uh, Jonathan and Elliot are not with us today, so they'll Aww. hopefully be back soon. <laughs> so today we are talking about uh, the whole transgender issue. Uh, so just to read the show description here, he, her, Z, Zer, gender, queer, <laughs> androgynous persons of transgendered experience, two spirited. It seems that while gender was once such a simple non-issue in our crumbling world, it is becoming ridiculously complicated. Phrases like boys and girls no longer being accepted in classrooms, men getting pregnant, $250,000 fines for calling someone by the wrong gender pronoun, and toddlers transitioning to the opposite sex. It's never been more confusing to use a bathroom than in the 21st century. Uh, on the other hand, violence and bullying, suicides, and even murder against transgender people is at an all-time high. Has political correctness gone too far? Are transgendered people being unfairly discriminated against? Is there a physiological component to gender dysphoria? Or is it a result of childhood trauma? We're going to be exploring all these things on today's show. This is a very contentious and inflammatory uh, topic, so uh, we encourage yeah. you to call in. <laughs> we can't promise that we'll always be politically correct. Probably a lot of the time we won't be. Well, it's getting more and more difficult to be since yeah. political correctness seems to be getting to such an extreme. We got uh, take, taken over by pathologicals, and now political correctness is used to normalize all kinds of pathological behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, maybe we should start off with the whole pronoun issue, because that seems to be one of the ones that, uh, where you really see this kind of political correctness thing going way too far. Mm-hmm. Um, just the idea that um, the pronouns that are have always been used in the English language are not sufficient in describing the living experience of everyone yeah. and that they need to be added to or subtracted from and how just using what has always been normal language has suddenly become offensive to part of the population. Yeah, I didn't really notice all of this until like maybe in the last year or so. Like before, it might have been around, but it just wasn't on my radar. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. it's like you're being bombarded with all these extra pronouns and you're hearing about these college campuses where they have to be, you know, extra specially sensitive to all these unique snowflakes and not offend anybody. Yeah. And you have to uh, ask someone what their preferred gender pronoun is. I mean, it, it seems like all of a sudden it just blew up into the mainstream media. Yeah. And people are just going nuts with it. Yeah. It it kind of seems like the media has kind of taken the ball and they're just running with it. And it's gone to such an extreme. It's like the one article that we read where it was a, I don't remember which university it was, but they had, um, they, they made these pins that said, hello, my name is, and my preferred gender pronoun is this. <laughs> and it's like, do do we really need to go there? Yeah, and, well, and, then, and social uh, media jumped on the bandwagon as well with Facebook adding over 50 gender options to <laughs> people's personal profiles. That's crazy. And for me, kind of like Tiffany was saying, I mean, I could think of maybe 10, but I could uh, think of three. 50? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's these different uh, 
classrooms or, or school districts are saying that, like there was a school in Australia where they weren't allowed to use the words mom and dad. They have to use parents or you can't say husband or wife. You have to say spouse or partner. And they're... Okay, that is simply hysterical. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, they're trying to thought control us. If you tr- uh, control the words that people use, mm. I don't know who they are, but, you know, just <laughs> whomever they. they in generic. But if you control the words that people use, you kind of change the way that people think about things. And it seems like the intention is not to, uh, I don't know, enlighten its more like to obscure mm-hmm. reality and call things by things that they are not instead of calling things by their proper names, you know? Yeah. Well, just to, to go on that a little bit, that same Australia school has also banned clapping at school assemblies um, because there are some students who might be uh, sensitive to sound. And they've also <laughs> banned hugging because some people might not be comfortable with uh, contact, with body contact. I mean... It's it's kind of like <laughs> it's taking the idea, you know, it's it's like I don't have a problem with hugging, so why should I not be able to hug? Well, no, because you might offend somebody who does have a problem with hugging and they feel like they're missing out on something by not hugging. Mm-hmm. It's like 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 how far can we possibly go with this? Like, you know, being offended is subjective. Mm-hmm. You know, that is like somebody could be offended by any anything. You could wear the wrong color socks and you could offend somebody. So this idea that we can kind of like, you know, preempt this, this idea of offense, you know, that we can somehow, um, may, you know, live our lives in such a way that we could not possibly offend anybody. It's like, it's like walking around with padding on all the time, mm-hmm. you know, like you're going to wear like a football equipment in your day to day life because you don't want to possibly get damaged in some way. It, it just, it, it's so over the top and so insane. Mm-hmm. I'm a fragile snowflake. Yeah. <laughs> And well, the I wonder fact if that it's it has not meant to, be... to just distract too. Yeah. Distract well, from other things going on and, and, and get people obsessed and as one of our commenters said, like agitate people, mm-hmm. you know, into one camp or another. Either you're open and liberal and support this whole idea or you're not. Mm-hmm. And there are probably some people where this kind of thing would just set them off to be even more outwardly uh phobic or transgenderist or whatever <laughs> you want to call it than they would be normally <laughs> yeah 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 but it's like they're whoever they are again they're mandating that you know you have to not offend somebody everybody's feelings must be protected in all cases and in all situations and if you make a mistake in addressing someone then you know you can be fined yeah this was in uh, in New York. In New York. Apparently misgendering, that's what they're calling it, which basically amounts to calling somebody by their not not by their preferred pronoun. Mm. So if they say if they have their little pin on and it says I prefer to be called him and you call them her then you could get a $125,000 fine. And if it's the result of willful, wanton or malicious conduct, you can get a $250,000 fine. So obviously they're pushing this agenda for some reason. I found it interesting that Pope Francis, you know, when he visited Poland, he yeah. made a few remarks about it. He said that it was like an ideological colonization. Mm-hmm. And he highlighted that the idea was supported and funded by very influential countries. 
So, so far we have seen stories about, you know, school programs uh, pushing this exploration of transgender issues in mm-hmm. very young children, you know, in the United Kingdom, in Australia, and possibly the United States. Yeah. When I was coming up through elementary school, we had sex education in the fifth grade, and it was basically, you know, how babies get here and how babies are born. It wasn't like exploring our childhood sexuality and learning how to masturbate and, uh, you know, trying out all these different gender pronouns. It's really ridiculous. Like, that's one of the most disturbing aspects of this, I think, is that there seems to be some kind of push to kind of indoctrinate uh, like this social indoctrination of young children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're getting, it really is, like you're not exaggerating when you're saying children as young as four. Like that really is, that's when they're starting to kind of do this education, so to speak. And uh, there was one incident in the UK where um, a school with children as, as young as four were being encouraged to learn about transgender issues in a transgender day they were holding at the school um, where children were being taught to, quote, explore their sexuality. Like, come on, a four-year-old? Like, seriously, like, how how twisted is that? What sexuality can a, a four-year-old be exploring? And when I hear something like that, immediately I think of, like, who designed this program and why do they think that children have sexuality that can be explored in the first yes, place? Yes, that was my first reaction. Yeah. And I looked at a photograph of the head teacher who yeah. was uh, pushing this agenda. Um, she looked like a male. Yeah, mm. she did. She She looked like she was probably... Well, I mean, that's maybe... <laughs> Don't toxic, hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry. Don't no. mean to offend. This is a safe space. Yeah, and there was some school district, I forget what country it was in, but they had a uh, owner of a sex shop come in and give a demonstration. That was Canada. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. So normally, um, the parents were threatening to remove their children from primary school. I would have been one probably... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, in Germany, they had this sex education and they were using all these, I guess you could say quasi-pornographic cartoons and books. I guess you could say it was all the way pornographic because mm-hmm. there were some pictures posted in this particular article that talked about it. And it was just, I mean, it was overtly sexual. There was really no other way to get around it. And these parents said, hey, we don't want our children to have this class and so they pulled their children out of the class and they were i think they were prosecuted or some kind of yeah. legal ramifications came of that didn't they go to jail yeah yeah i think they went to jail unbelievable <laughs> i mean what is the legal mandate that says you have to expose your children to something like this in the classroom that's when they actually even told the parents that they were doing it it sounds like some of these programs they don't even tell the parents mm. That they're doing it. Yeah, and some of these programs, they won't tell the parent if the child chooses a gender program that it, or gender pronoun that is outside of what they would normally use, like he or she. So if a kid wants to be called zeer or here or whatever, they won't let the parents know that they're. That is crazy because they're basically indoctrinating children, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, trying to like brainwash them, convince them, you know, of something that it is not. And we know from biology that, you know, the prefrontal cortex, when people really start, you know, like maturating, you know, and making the correct decisions 
for some people, it comes late as in their forties, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the thing about that, you know, not telling the parents, like, why would you not tell the parents? Like, if your son or daughter was having some kind of psychological issue and they went to the mental health counselor in the school and was talking about it with that with the person. They would tell the parents, like, um, your child is being bullied or your child just started menstruating. I think you need to, you know, take care of this. Or your child is having, you know, depressive thoughts or whatever. Why would they not do the same thing if their child is expressing, you know, wanting to use a different gender pronoun? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why is that a secret and nothing else is? I don't know. That's, uh, it seems like it's this kind of insidious rise of, gender theory mm-hmm. what worries me a lot is the gender psychologists they don't seem to know a lot about psychology like basically when a person gets expresses the desire to change sex you know and goes to a psychologist they just basically discard that you don't have a psychotic breakdown you know schizophrenia mm-hmm. or something like that but they are not curious to find out about your childhood or, you know, <laughs> sexual abuse or mm-hmm. nothing at all. So just basically encouraged it, you know. Yes, you're fine. You can do it. <laughs> well, they encourage surgery, basically. They, yeah. uh, there's, there's a number of cases of people um, talking about how that when they were going through this kind of identity crisis, for lack of a better term, that the only solution that was offered to them was surgery, which is really disturbing disturbing i mean you know that that should be the absolute last thing offered you know like some kind of counseling some kind of exploration of what sort of issues are actually going on there they don't even care about Mm -hmm. past experience because there is enough experience in the literature to review it and to come to us some sort of conclusion is it a good idea or a bad idea to change your sex Mm -hmm. Well, it seems like at this point it's kind of like if you can afford it, then go ahead and do it. But uh, certain sites that I looked at when they were talking about male to female transition or transition from female to male, there is kind of an, uh, a flow that you kind of have to go through. You have to um, start off on the hormones first. And then you have to live as your preferred gender for six months to a year. And you have to have two mental health professionals say that you are fit and not suffering from any kind of mental illness to go through the surgery. But I wonder how 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 they can verify that. Like, what do they do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what kind of testing do they go through? But Well... It reminds me, um, when I was in a big city in Spain, I had made my rotations in endocrinology, and they had a specific section for transgenders. Hmm. This was the public healthcare system. Hmm. I was very surprised, so yeah, all sorts of questions. <laughs> they basically explained to me that, yes, in some medical cases, they do consider it, you know, because um, there's uh, what is called pseudo-hermaphroditism, which is uh, it's not uncommon. And uh, what happens is while a person is born with the uh, sex characteristics of one or the other, but develops secondary characteristics that are different. And the secondary characteristics is pubic hair, you know, large breasts, facial hair, and and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's usually a congenital problem uh, having to do with the pathways in the adrenal glands where all the hormones are produced. 
So in some cases, even babies are born with a little bit of tissue, which is female tissue, and a little bit of tissue, which is male tissue. So they will evaluate to see, yeah, with which gender the person will identify and then set that, you know, uh, medic- make medical treatment to set that up. Yeah, so but that, okay. that's a particular it's health issue. It's rare, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's not uncommon. What it, what is very rare is uh, true hermaphroditism. Mm-hmm. That's so rare that there has only been like 40 cases in the literature, you know, ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very rare. Erica, did you have like some kind of history? Because it's not like transgenderism or cross-dressing or transsexualism is a new thing in the history of the world. It seems like there's always been that kind of thing going on. Yeah, I was reading about um, in Native American culture the idea of being two-spirited and basically having two spirits, um, you know, uh identifying with a feminine part of the spirit and a a masculine part of the spirit and that this was um, viewed in um, certain tribes as identifying with both of them and occupying one body. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they dress a mixture of traditional male and female and um, they may dress as a man one day and a woman another day, but it had nothing to do with... um, sexual preferences as far as being, you know, it's not a sexual thing in that sense. Um, for example, like uh, in the Lakota and the Oguala tradition, uh, you know, sometimes these people, these two-spirited people were foretellers of the future in, uh, or they were confers of lucky names for children and uh, adults. They also um, played roles in the Sundance ceremonies. So it seems in the research that the two-spirited people were accepted. and um, But again, it wasn't a sexual preference thing. It was more like they knew they had these two elements about them and they were seen in the community as somebody who had, had somebody something to offer. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. It seems like a higher awareness... In the sense that it reminds me of uh, possibilities of reincarnation or spirit attachments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like uh, preparing this show, I read this story that was just, it just was like very characteristic of a very young child, four years old. Yeah, three but or four, I think they three were. Three or four. And uh, he identified as a little boy and, you know, playing games with boys. And, and one day after, you know, one day he just flipped. And he identified as a girl, you know, he mm-hmm. became obsessed that, mm-hmm. you know, this kid has a spirit attachment, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think in the article they were talking about how the boy, when he was younger, he was obsessed with like boy stuff and Thomas the Tank Engine. Then all of a sudden, like it happened in one day. <laughs> yes. He started being obsessed with Dora the Explorer and wanting to be a girl. Mm. Yeah. And that made me think of spirit attachment too, Gabby. And they basically recruited him or her to, like, the transgender change, Mm -hmm. where they can, like, you know, they will be aware of, like, spirit attachments. Mm -hmm. They will consider doing that first before doing something so drastic as changing by, you know, the sex. Yeah, but so many people are unaware that spirit attachments is something that's even possible. But it's quite common from my reading, like, you can... Like, everybody has them. Yeah. (laughs) 
So it makes me wonder, like, what glommed on to this little boy and made him, like, was it a female spirit? And then it made him think that he was a female. He was destined to be a female. And he, I mean, Maybe he was stripped to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what goes on in these situations. But it seems like somebody would explore it a little bit before they just say, okay, let's, you know, set you up for surgery. Well, I mean, what's really disgusting about this is that the parents, you know, mm-hmm. like what parent would want to put their child through something like this at four years old, you know, considering how, you know, like a four-year-old is not capable of making these kinds of decisions. They have no understanding whatsoever of the consequences. They have no, you know, like self-awareness. There's not, mm-hmm. there's nothing there. You can't just give in to a whim, the whims of a child. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, the fact that they are, are kind of just like willing to do this, like how brainwashed can they possibly be? Like, are they aware of what the procedure actually is? Like what one has to actually go through? Like it, it's basically like mutilation, essentially. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably going off the politically correct spectrum there. But I mean, the, the, like the surgery is extremely invasive. Maybe it's we should give the listeners a little bit of an idea. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, okay, we can do that. But uh, first I wanted to say something about the four-year-old. There was an Australian case of this four-year-old. They said that they were, the four-year-old, I don't know if it was a girl or boy or whatever, they were beginning the transgender trans transition. And the first thing I thought when I read that, like you said, Doug, like how does a four-year-old even make that decision? But even more so how does a four-year-old even know that that is an option to have surgery and become another sex who told that child the school (laughs) yeah the school the parents i mean it's remarkable that the kid even knows about such a thing i mean it's one thing like there's you know a feminized little boy and you kind of get the picture i mean sometimes you see little boys i just have experience with boys you know they play with uh you know, girls things and they act a little effeminate and you kind of figure, okay, when they grow up, they're going to be homosexual. You don't say, Hey, this little boy wants to be a girl. Let's, you know, set him up for hormone therapy and transgender surgery. Okay. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so about the surgery, it is really. I mean, it's radical surgery. I mean, there's one thing to, you know, be a drag queen in quotes and to caricature a woman, dress up like a woman and, you know, have shows and everything. But the actual surgeries, it's like they're taking their play acting or playing dress up to like extreme levels, an extreme level. They're actually paying to have the parts put on or taken away from their body so they can better imitate a man or a woman. And, you know, they're kind of, in a way, it seems like they're wanting us all to accept their belief and really is is just not real. (laughs) I don't know any other way to put it, but I guess they're trying to make it more convincing and they kind of get upset when people aren't convinced that it's Mm -hmm. the real thing. But anyway, so as far as these procedures, and they can be quite costly, like um, just for the basics, I read on one site where they do the surgery, it's like $21,000, like if you want to go from male to female, and that is like, um, if the hormones 
don't make you grow breasts as a male. You can always get breast implants. Or if you're a woman, you have your breasts removed. Again, another radical surgery. And then uh, for female to male transitions, in order to make a penis, they call it a neophallus kind of surgery, they take flaps of skin from forearms, your abdomens, your legs, and they kind of tube them together. And they try to create a penis. Like in one instance, like they'll have like a micro penis by elongating the clitoris. And some people who have the surgery are satisfied with this. I think one of the things that a transitioning woman would want in order to feel more like a man is to be able to stand up and pee, which to me seems like a little small detail. <laughs> but uh, there's that that's called a, a metoid plasty. And then they have the actual phalloplasty where they make the penis from the flaps of skin, uh, but they cannot pee standing up. And in um, a lot of cases, having this... Uh, Man-made penis does not give full sexual function, and there are some, um, I guess, implants or other maneuvers that they have to take in order to actually be able to have sexual intercourse. And then there's buttock reductions, like if you're transitioning from a female to a male, or if you're male to female, they have, I guess, a Brazilian butt lift is something... (laughs) That is preferred. Um, and another radical thing that can be done in these surgeries is a vaginectomy where they remove part of the vagina, hmm. which I'm not sure exactly how that works. I guess they remove all the outer genitalia. And, uh, and another radical thing in male to female, um, they do a vaginoplasty where they try to create a vagina in the space where a vagina really would be on a woman. But the body treats that open space in a man's body like it's a wound. And so it has this tendency to want to close up and it's prone to infection. So they have to go through all of these steps to keep the area open. Like kind of a constant rate, basically. Yeah. And then other things they can do is... Um, like if they have very prominent male features and they want to feminize it, they'll kind of uh, shave down the Adam's apple and get rid of some of the prominent uh, bones in the brow area. Um, yeah, so pretty radical. It's kind of an extreme to go to just to create this outer costume to convince people. That, that sounds like some severe man. trauma just to go through the surgery itself. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a very good point in the chat. Um, that's, uh, do you think there is a connection with vaccines or hormones disruption, hormone disruption in the environment? Well, there's been a lot of uh, SART articles about hormone disrupting chemicals. Like there's like BPA found in breast milk mm-hmm. and it's feminizing little boys. I mean, I could. I suppose it could be an explanation in some cases. That's true. Like very little boys, they're very, they get all these complexes because they develop breasts. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like women, but they actually 
feel really bad because they have breasts. I guess in some cases, yes, it could disrupt, you know, sexual orientation, especially if you're ponderized and indoctrinated that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, you could... Uh, well, there's also the an- endocrine disrupting chemicals and all kinds of stuff, uh, mm-hmm. the BPA and plastics and mm-hmm. even in pesticides and whatnot. And uh, there was a research done by Tyrone Hayes about the frog of war, about how these chemicals like atrazine are changing the sex of frogs mm-hmm. in his research, you know, and when he tried to publish it, he's received a lot of negative backlash. I think there's a role to play in that, but as we were talking before the show, is it the only thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, these, I these things are happening, but is it, it seems like there's more going on than just the environmental component. Yeah. These things are happening on a background of, you know, you know, polarization, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't know the statistics, but I will think that more men will are converting to women than the other way around. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the exact statistics either, but yeah, it seems like it is. Should, uh, should we go to our audio clip? Oh yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, we do have a clip. This is Camille Paglia talking about the transgender mania that's happening in society right now. And who is this woman, so for those who don't know? She is a feminist lesbian who writes about cultural issues. So the name of this article that she was featured in, it's uh, Feminist Camille Paglia. Transgender mania is a symptom of the West's cultural collapse. But in this clip, she doesn't get too much into the cultural collapse part. But we'll go ahead and have a listen to it. I think that the transgender propagandists, okay, make inf- wildly inflated claims about the multiplicity of gender. Um, the in the uh, uh, sex reassignment surgery, even today, with all of its all of its uh, you know adva- advances, um, cannot in fact change anyone's sex. Okay, you you can you can define yourself as a trans man or a trans woman at some one of these new gradations along the scale. But ultimately, every single cell in the human body, the DNA in that cell, remains coded for your biological birth. So there are a lot of lies being propagated at the present moment, okay, which I, th- I think is not in anyone's best interest. Okay? Uh, I would, now, what I'm concerned about is um, is the uh, you know the, the, the popularity and in the, in, in the availability of sex reassignment surgery. So it's someone who is feeling um, uh, not, doesn't feel that that, they, that he or she belongs to the biological birth you know, gender. People are being encouraged to intervene in the process. Uh, parents are, in, are now encouraged to subject the child to procedures that I think are a form of child abuse. So either you know the hormones uh, to to um, to slow puberty. Okay. Uh, actual you know, surgical manipulations, etc. I, I, I think uh, that, that this is wrong. That uh, people uh, should wait until they're uh, you know of an informed age of consent. Parents should not be doing this to to their to, to their children. And I and I you know I think that um, even in the teenage years is too soon to, to be making this leap. But what, people people change, people grow, and, and people adapt. Um, now I'm concerned that again about the about this. In fact, I, in my study of history in, in sexual personae. 
Um, I, I'm always talking about the late phases of culture, and this is I, I was very, always drawn to the late or decadent phase of culture. Oscar Wilde is one of the great exponents of that in the late 19th century. He's one of my, my strongest influences from my earliest years. And I found, okay, in my study, uh, that, that history is cyclic. And everywhere in the world, you find this pattern, okay, in ancient times, that as a culture begins to decline, you have an efflorescence, okay, of transgender phenomena, okay? That is a symptom of cultural collapse, okay? So rather than people singing the praises of, of the humanitarian liberalism, okay, that allows all of these, of, these, of these transgender possibilities, okay, to appear and to be encouraged, I would be concerned about what, what, how Western culture is defining itself to the world, because in fact, this, these phenomena are inflaming the irrational, indeed borderline psychotic opponents of Western culture in the form of ISIS and other you know, jihadists, etc. Okay? Nothing more, you know, better defines the decadence of the West to the jihadists okay, than our toleration of, hom of open homosexuality and this, and this transgender mania now. Okay? Right. Um, so, I mean, I think that um, you know, any vision of the future, the, the, the futurists from the, from the science fiction of the late uh, 19th century into the 20th century, usually they have projected that, that um, men and women in, you know, in, in distant space okay, will start to conform to each other in gender. And you see that in, you know, you see it in Star Wars. The gender seems to start to be erased. Men and women are working side by side almost as, 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 as units in a, in a machine. There's something mechanical about it, this shaving away of gender differences. Okay? Yes, um, uh, it, it, more and more, you know, the, the masculine is seen as somehow retrograde, as something you know, the paleolithic, something belonging to the past. Okay, so that was Camille Paglia. Yeah, I think it's important not to confuse sexual orientation with sex. Mm -hmm. Sexual orientation, whether you're heterosexual, homo homosexual, kind of lies on a spectrum from strictly hetero to strictly homo homosexual. But sex itself is biology and nature. And so there is no getting around. You're either a man or a woman or, uh, like Gabby said, there's some rare cases of being a hermaphrodite or there's medical uh, issues that kind of screw up the hormones and leave a person in a kind of confused state. Mm -hmm. But outside of the, the strict two sexes, I can't come up with anything that's different like except in some cases in the animal kingdom where they can transition back and forth but mm. or you know yeah but humans you know humans are humans and they have two sexes for the most part does somebody remember the clinical experience there's there's what um there was this clinic who did like 500 cases of transgender you know sex change a while ago when this was not popular as it is now what was yeah. their experience? It was the doc, uh, Dr. Harry Benjamin's gender clinic. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, there was a doctor named Eilenfeld, I think is how it's pronounced, mm -hmm. um, who had uh, experience treating more than 500 transgender patients with hormones um, over a six-year period. And his um, conclusion at the end of all this is that it was actually a bad idea and that 80% of the patients who want to change their physical appearance this way should not do it. Yeah, he actually said that there is, quote, too much unhappiness 
among people who have had the surgery, and too many end as suicides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I so, mean, yeah, that article was called Feelings Change But the Body Doesn't, A Sobering Look into Transgenderism and Medical Malpractice. So the author of this article, he was a journalist, and I guess at some point he had gone through uh, the transition and had transgender surgery, but he realized that it was a mistake. And he says he, he's gotten a lot of emails from people who said that they're not happy at all mm-hmm. with the the surgery. Like they thought that, you know, what they were feeling at the time that they were you know, wanting the surgery was just fleeting feelings as so many feelings are, but they have the surgery and, you know, they're stuck with all these permanent body changes. They have this radical surgery and they're still not happy. So it just reminds me of like, wherever you go, there you are. Like you can make all these changes to your cosmetic appearance and have all this surgery and stuff, Mm -hmm. but you still have to be psychologically healthy and live with yourself throughout your whole life. Yeah, mm-hmm. he actually makes a, a really good a point. Of... Sorry. Oh, go on. Doug. I was just going to say, he. I, I think he makes a really good point in that article, and that that is that surgery doesn't treat gen- transgenderism. Mm-hmm. Um, he says he, he likens it to doing things like lobotomies or, um, you know, pulling teeth or removing parts of colons to try and get rid of uh, eff- infections that were kind of done in the turn of the century and stuff like that, that you're actually doing a, a surgical option as a means of, treating what's essentially a psychological condition. Um, And he also made a very good point talking about how um, trauma, like childhood trauma is never explored in these situations. Mm -hmm. And that a lot of the people who have been writing to him have kind of said that, you know, once they went through the the transition surgery and everything, it didn't solve those problems and that they've since worked through those in therapy. um, And that after the, the, the therapy is done, they, they regret their decision. So it, it's clear, like it's very clear to me that surgery should be the absolute last option um, and that, you know, you really need to kind of dig into the, the, the psychological issues first, deal with trauma. Like, I mean, everybody goes through some level of trauma when, when they're a child. So you really need to kind of, you need to see where that, that, that actual decision is coming from because uh, if you don't and you're just trying to cosmetically treat um, what is actually a very deep issue, I think you're bound to be very disappointed. Yeah, and there's no doubt about it that it is a very deep issue. I mean, I can't imagine. You have to kind of sympathize with these people. Like, can you imagine what it would be like to be tormented by feelings that you were born the wrong sex? I mean, that must be very, very difficult for people. And I want to make it clear, like, these people should not be discriminated against. They shouldn't be bullied. They just shouldn't be harassed. Or, you know, they have very difficult lives and a lot of it like leads them into like prostitution or drug use and suicides and all that. They should be treated with compassion, just like everyone else should be treated with compassion. Um, but I was reading some more through uh, Dr. Charles Eilenfeld's uh, uh, experience with treating these transgendered people. And he said that up to 80% of the people who want to have the sex change probably should not do it. And he says it's the only, this is the only population where the patient diagnoses him or herself and then prescribes their own treatment. Like the sex change is the only thing that's going to help them get out of this. And he said that there's a lot of uh, younger people. And he absolutely stressed that this should not be done on younger people. 
mm-hmm. especially not toddlers, mm-hmm. not even teenagers. You should be like over the age of 20 to 21 before you're even taking this seriously that you should go through this surgery. And even a lot because, of people who did it on the 20s regret it, mm-hmm. basically. They got over mm-hmm. it on their 30s or 40s, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're taking people who are in a very changeable and turbulent time in their mm-hmm. lives. Like I think about how much I changed personally between my teenage years and my 30s and it's huge. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine making like a major life-changing decision in my 20s that would affect me today. Yeah, like I, for I, the whole rest I guarantee of your life. I would I would regret it. Yeah, it's like you were a it. different person and thank Absolutely. God for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been you the know, testimonials in, in, interesting in that article too, mm-hmm. Tiffany that you were talking about how um you know one man I believe talks about how the changing of his gender was an empty promise and a reprieve that didn't really fix anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, after a lot of psychological counseling, he began to see his dream of becoming a girl had been a, an escape to cope with real pain from childhood mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's been stories of people who actually went through the transition and then they've come to regret it and then they want to switch back. And in the meantime, like they've had all this upheaval in their life, like they lost jobs, they lost their family members, like their kids don't want to talk to them anymore. And they did all of this over a fleeting feeling where, you know, a lot of them say surgery wasn't the answer. I just needed some therapy or counseling. Mm. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them have these unrealistic expectations that, you know, if they go through this, then everything will be solved and their lives will be better and in that particular article they just mentioned, um, there was an interesting quote that the author used. He said that you know, he was talking about this woman that you know, had a very tumultuous upbringing, like her father was a pedophile, and uh, he abused her and her brother and neglected her. And then she grew up and she was uh, like gorging herself to make herself unattractive to the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. And she lived for a while as a lesbian and she decided she wanted to transgender transition to a male. And uh, the author said that as a transgender, uh, she can fall in love with herself and avoid rejection. So I wonder if a lot Mm -hmm. of that is going on with these people. I mean, Ultimately, it's like they're seeking acceptance. And maybe if our society wasn't as screwed as it is mm-hmm. and people were a, more compassionate and more tolerant, maybe they would not go to such extremes mm. in order to mm-hmm. you know, come to love themselves. Maybe if other people loved them enough, they wouldn't have to be so radical. And what I find it disturbing is that now teenagers, they have like temper tantrums threatening everybody with suicide unless they get their transgender sex change you know mm-hmm. that's crazy that's basically a person that needs like psych- cognitive therapy or psychological yeah. therapy but not the surgery mm-hmm. no i mean it's not i, well, it's again, not I wonder how much of that is 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 you know the social influence like oh now i have a, a, a an explanation for what i'm going mm-hmm. through i'm really a woman stuck in a man's body and I'm going to mm. go to no ends of the earth to get the change so I can be happy. And as that yeah. article clearly states, the that actually coming to bring happiness is not the case. Mm. Yeah, I wonder what, how would they cope if that option wasn't even available? Like if this was like 50 years ago 
and they didn't have the mm-hmm. possibilities that they have now with the surgery, what would they do? Mm. I think uh, we can all kind of relate on a certain level because I, ne- I think it's not uncommon for people to kind of get obsessed with some sort of idea. Mm-hmm. They think that if I just do this one thing, then all my problems will be solved or it's the one thing standing in my way and it kind of becomes almost like an obsession. Like a magic bullet. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. exactly. Exactly. You know, if, if, if I just solve this one problem, then, then suddenly my life is going to be better. So I can, I can kind of identify with them in that sense that they're kind of see, and you know, in, in, a lot of cases, um, it's the only option that's really given to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't really see other options. So they've kind of become obsessed with this one idea. And I think that the media actually, the current media landscape is not um, helping things in any way, shape or form. I mean, this whole gender fluidity thing has kind of become the new cool thing. You're seeing like models mm-hmm. looking more and more androgynous all the time. Mm-hmm. There's a whole thing about the whole Caitlyn Jenner and she was so brave for going through this transition <laughs> and like there was the whole bathroom issue and if you, you know, don't uh, don't offer a, a third bathroom then, you know, you're a evil corporate jerk <laughs> instead of being a nice liberal like the rest of us. So I I mean it's just it's it's just blown up so much in the media that that uh you know, I, I can identify to a certain extent these people kind of latch on to this as the only possible solution and become kind of obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of the the surgeries aren't quite as convincing. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, if you look at Caitlyn Jenner, I mean, something seems off. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem quite feminine and like an actual person who was born a woman but the crazy thing is is like these uh gender neutral advocates uh always try to use that term like um these people do not agree with the the gender that they are assigned at birth Mm. i mean biology i mean it doesn't assign anything you're either <laughs> you're a boy or a girl. That's why it just incenses me because they're wanting us to uh, to not pay attention to nature and reality that and reminds- just like cater to people's feelings, no matter how skewed they are. That reminds me that they want to remove the label of mental illness mm. to those who want to change their sex and call it just basically. Gender identity, no gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, or gender identity disorder. Okay. Yeah. Formally, gender identity disorder. Formally, mm-hmm. and remove the label of craziness to it. So you know, normalize it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's more political correctness. Well, speaking of co- political correctness, there's, I guess there's 31. Some people might say more. 31. Uh, different words that you can use in your gender expression. These so, are ones that were put forth by New York City. Yeah. The ones that they will accept. 31, so, okay, man, woman, too. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Give us a selection, Tiff. Okay, so I'll just go through them. Some of them are quite funny. But, okay, bi-gendered, cross-dresser, drag king, drag queen, Fem queen, female to male, FTM, gender bender, gender queer, male to female, MTF, non-op, and hijra, which 
What did we find out about that word? It's an Indian name yeah. for for a, for a eunuch. No, for a a, a lady boy, basically. Oh, lady boy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, pangender, transsexual, and transsexual. Okay, <laughs> with, <laughs> with two one S S's. Or two. Yeah, yeah. Trans person, woman, man. I'm surprised those made the list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, butch, two spirit, and that's T W O spirit. Trans, agender, third sex, gender fluid, non-binary transgender, androgen, knee, <laughs> androgen, Andro- okay, gender gifted, <laughs> gender blender, femme. This is my favorite person of transgender experience, <laughs> and androgenist, androgenist. Yeah, so and I'll, I'll add another one: gender enhanced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting. There was that also other taking... and non-binary. Yeah, non-binary. Oh my god! So you have to remember all of this stuff, and you have to ask people when you first meet them, like, what would they prefer to be called? Otherwise. Yeah. You're offending their delicate sensibilities. And you might get a $250,000 fine. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to see kind of what extremes this whole um, gender theory is kind of taken to. Mm. Because it's what, what kind of is blowing my mind about it, about the way that kind of society is moving right now. It's like more emphasis is actually placed on this identity than on biology and biology is kind of like who cares right i don't, I don't care what i biologically am i'm going to identify as this and it kind of has come to an extreme when you've seen a couple of i've seen a couple of headlines where they talk about man gets pregnant and it's like you know shocks shocks scientists which you know when you read the article it's actually just a person who is biologically a woman mm-hmm. but they identify as a man and they got pregnant and it's like there's nothing shocking about that. No scientist would be shocked by that. That person is biologically a female mm-hmm. and they are having a child. There's nothing shocking in the least about that. Mm-hmm. But it's just this that that they would identify so strongly with the with this male identity that it's that it would somehow be seen as shocking, which just kind of blows my mind. Another example actually is Oh, uh, oh. let me jump in here cuz there was this article in Sat called Transgender Couple Has a Baby and basically they were talking about that and it was basically a biological man and a woman had a baby together. So there's really nothing earth-shattering <laughs> about that. Why is that news? Yeah, but then the woman in the the particular couple was I guess they become so enamored of their special societal status as a transgendered person, they kind of take it to the extreme. Because she said something like, since I'm a transgender, neither of them had gone through any kind of surgery or anything. She just thought she couldn't get pregnant. But I don't understand that. You're a woman. Why would you think that you can't get pregnant? (laughs) Women are able to get pregnant. But go ahead. (laughs) No, there was another example of a couple. The woman, the biological woman, Mm -hmm. um, she had severe endometriosis. So she was actually uh, infertile. Mm. So the man who went through um, trans... The man was biologically a woman as well. Mm. Uh, he actually had the baby then for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was shocking. <laughs> Woman <Yeah>. has baby. <laughs> News at 11. <laughs> There's another example, actually, of um, the guy... Oh, I 
yeah, Think Progress was the name of the website, which I think is basically an LGBT uh, website. Uh, and the editor's name is Zach Ford. And apparently he decided to argue that the science isn't actually settled on whether um, men can menstruate and uh, <laughs> and have babies and whether I, I forget what it was about the yeah the, the women it was some kind of campaign where they were putting tampons and things into bathrooms so they decided that they wanted to put those in the men's bathroom mm-hmm. too okay. <laughs> nothing to do and for those who don't know LGBT is lesbian gay bisexual and transsexual thank you yeah I should have said that yeah but anyway so he went on Twitter like because apparently I think there was an article in Ford or, or no I can't remember where the article was but it was basically a guy saying the science is settled men men don't menstruate and uh, he decided to argue this fact, and he's like, "I know lots of men who menstruate." Blah 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 blah. And what you know, what it basically comes down to is he's not actually talking about biological men. He again mm-hmm. is talking about somebody who identifies as a man but is biologically a woman. Mm-hmm. So it's like the idea that this person would argue about this, and he got into like huge flame wars on Twitter about this, and most people were just kind of like, "I don't know why you're arguing this. <laughs> this is ridiculous." <laughs> but it just goes to show, like how how you know. People can can get so identified with this idea, this you know that it, that all that matters is the identity, mm-hmm. and and biology has no play whatsoever. Yeah, like that transgender couple gives birth article, or the one about the the man in quotes who gives birth to a baby when she's he was biologically a woman in the first place, and seems like both of those people, you know having a baby for them was kind of like a political statement mm. like in the one article the woman said that uh, she had a baby because it's her her right to do so <laughs> like you have to flex your rights to have a baby <laughs> like of all the bad ideas and the bad reasons to have a baby that's probably like right up there near the top your baby is a political statement <sighs> that kid is going to be so damaged yeah yeah the rights of the adults should never, like, you know, the the rights of the children should be prioritized. As well. yeah. yeah, it's not like heterosexual couples don't have babies for all the wrong reasons, too. But True, <laughs> yeah. But it's basically just narcissism when it comes right down to it. Mm. So where do you all think that this is going? Like, what direction? This is, like, such a big push. Like, what direction are they pushing us into, do you think? More suffering. Wow. More yeah, confusion. Involved. Yeah, confusion, more division. I mean, you're already seeing it. We didn't mm-hmm. really go into it much here, but there's been so many um, incidents lately of, uh, you know, transgendered people getting, like, with violence. Mm-hmm. Against Beaten them. up to death. Yeah. There was one in Harlem recently, um, a man who kind of dressed as a woman, and when um, a quote-unquote friend of hers found out, just beat them to death. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, in the grand scheme of things, this is just yet another issue to divide us all over. Yeah, and more food for the moon, like yeah. all the negative energies if you don't, like, say if your family is more traditional and you come out as a transgender person, I mean, there's a lot of families that break up over this, and there's a lot of these teenagers and young people who end up out on the streets and they might turn to drugs or prostitution in order to get by Mm. and that opens them up to all kinds of disease and abuse and murders and rapes a lot of people commit suicide Mm -hmm. a lot of people who actually were happy initially ended up very miserable regretting it Mm. and by then they lost all their friends family 
Yeah, and there's a fair number of transgender people who, due to the crime they had to resort to, end up in prison. And then that's another problem where they get abused in prison because if they're biologically a male but they identify as a female, they're going to be sent to a male prison. Yeah. And then all the hormones mm-hmm. they have to take, they have high risk of cancer, you know? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. And there's actually no studies, according to this author, not very many studies on the long-term, you know, outcomes of this transgender surgeries. Like a lot of the people who are dissatisfied, like drop out of studies because they just had it and they can't deal with it anymore. And they might like try to return to their former way of being. But there's not much science as uh, saying that, you know, there's good outcomes from people going through this surgery. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested in seeing it. But I think that maybe part of the the end game, like with um, the LG, was it LGBT movement uh, that initially started out uh, requesting equal rights and, you know, non-discrimination against gays and lesbians. And then you have this group of deviant people who kind of glom onto their mm-hmm. legitimate social protest and kind of turn it into some kind of um, call for freedom of sexual expression. Mm-hmm. But really, if you start mm-hmm. investigating these people who are calling for this, all this freedom, sexual freedom, you find out that they are actually advocates or participants in pedophilia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what's behind all of this. Pathological people. Yeah. yeah. And it's really it's really sad too because, you know, I I understand, you know, people wanting to kind of uh you know, be part of you know, if if a gay person would want to kind of be involved with, you know, the gay community and advocating for gay rights and that sort of thing but the the fact that the that the whole movement kind of gets twisted mm-hmm. and uh they it's almost like they don't really recognize what they're kind of fighting for anymore you yeah. know um so i can i can feel for them yeah it gets twisted and co-opted and you know they use like people's acceptance of homosexuality as a way to kind of get people to accept other types of sexuality that is deviant Mm -hmm. as something that's normal and i think like one of the ultimate end games is to get people to accept just outright in the open pedophilia adults having sex with children it's nearly there that's disturbing yeah well so on have, that note. Yeah, have we exhausted this topic? <laughs> <laughs> have we let you all know how we really feel about it? <laughs> have we offended anybody? No. The chat is quiet. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would be a good time to go to uh, Zoya's pet health segment. Yeah. Unless uh, anybody has anything to add. Yeah, we can go to the pet health segment on reproduction. Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and today I would like to share with you various interesting and strange facts regarding animal reproduction and pregnancy. The first fact is about elephants. 
you probably already know that they are pregnant for nearly two years. Uh, they have the longest pregnancies of any mammal. An African elephant stays pregnant for 22 months, and when they give birth, the entire pack huddles around them to protect the mother and baby from predators like lions. Elephant babies are able to walk uh, to walk moments after being born, also likely as a defense against uh, predators who go after baby elephants. And apparently baby elephants suck their trunks, just like human babies suck their thumbs. <laughs> now, another fact is dogs can experience false pregnancies. After a female dog goes into heat and experiences a fertile period, even if she has not actually mated, she may experience pregnancy symptoms like vomiting, fluid retention, enlargement of the mammaries, and even milk production. She may also begin engaging in typical pregnancy behaviors like nesting and feeling restless. Uh, on occasion, uh, dogs experiencing a false pregnancy will even go through a false labor and fixate on a small toy or other item afterwards, protecting and caring for it as if it were a young puppy. So why dogs become convinced that they are with pup, even if they haven't been anywhere near a male dog who could impregnate them? Turns out that the female dog's ovaries produce hormones designed to ready the uterus for pregnancy and soon as a dog is finished going into heat. In a pregnant dog, these hormones continue to flow through almost the rest of her pregnancy. For a dog who isn't pregnant, these pregnancy hormones continue to flow through her body for over a month and their fluctuations lead to pregnancy-like bodily changes. Now about primates. Orangutans nurse for six years. Uh, orangutans in general spend almost their entire lives in trees. They are the only great ape to be considered primarily arboreal. They spend their days climbing, traveling, and eating in tree, uh, on the trees and building nests each night in the forest canopy to sleep. And giving birth is no different. Female orangutans give birth to the young alone, like most apes, in nests uh, built near the top of uh, some very high rainforest trees. Female orangutans also devote seven years to raising each of the babies, who nurse uh, until they are six, which is why they typically only give birth once every eight years meaning that uh, most orangutans only have four or five children in their lifetime. That's the longest any animal, beside the human animal, spend raising, uh, raising their young. Now about giraffes. Giraffes can only give birth standing, standing up. If a giraffe mother were to sit or lie down while giving birth, the baby could be crushed. The standing birth also serves another function. A newborn baby giraffe drops out of the standing mother's vagina, which is typically about six feet or almost two meters in the air, a drop which severs the umbilical cord. But while a seated giraffe bo uh, birth can be risky, so can the drop. On occasion, uh, newborn baby giraffes become fatally injured during their fall to the ground. But luckily, most giraffe babies successfully make it to the ground. What about spiders? Apparently, spiders can choose which sperm to use. Certain species of female spiders are able to engage in a practice called sperm dumping. 
Basically, when these spiders mate, sperm doesn't flow directly into the reproductive organs. The, rather, it enters a sac, which the female spider can decide about later. She'll either expel and dispose of the sperm, or use the sperm to conceive. This system is uh, thought to exist uh, so that these species of female spiders can mate with multiply males during a period of fertility and then choose the mate most likely to yield successful offspring. And spiders are far from the only creatures to engage in forms of sperm dumping. Mammals like zebra and ducks also have <laughs> techniques to keeping unwelcome sperm from their wombs. Next fact is about octopus. Sadly, octopus mothers die after their eggs hatch. Typically, octopus mothers guard the eggs for several months, a period of time where they don't eat or really move, and after the young hatch, the mothers die. Researchers have found only, have found one deep sea species of octopus who sat guarding the eggs and barely moving for four and a half years the longest documented gestation time for any animal, and also an impressive span of time for an octopus whose lifespan is typically only a year or two. Seems like nature can be extremely nurturing and cruel at the same time. And just if you ever wondered, kangaroos have three vaginas. The outer two are for collecting sperm from sexual encounters, while, while the central vagina is exclusively for giving birth. All the vaginas connect with the, within the kangaroo's body, funneling whatever goes into them to one of the female kangaroo's two uteruses. This setup means that a female kangaroo can basically be constantly pregnant. And some male kangaroos have a double-pronged penis too. As for chimp uh, chipmunks in comparison, they are pregnant only for 31 days. Now to the less amusing fact. Male dolphins are not as nice as you think. You may have heard that some dolphins commit sexual assault against each other. And it's true. Male dolphins will sometimes, in effect, gang rape a male dolphin caught alone, preventing her attempts to escape until she has sex with all of them. But that's far from the only sex-related problem to plague the dolphin communities of the world. The heft of carrying a pregnancy slows dolphins down. A pregnant dolphin experiences a 50% increase in swim drag, which can make them more vulnerable to predators and may play a role in declining dolphin populations. But there is kindness in the sea too. Seahorses, for example. Everyone probably not already know that. After some courtship, the female seahorse uh, lays eggs in the male seahorse's pouch. The male seahorse is then pregnant, and he doesn't just carry the eggs around. He also provides nutrients and protection from viruses to his young while they're in the utero, just like the typical pregnant female mammal does. Then he'll give birth uh, to the couple's uh, young after 10 to 25 days, depending on the species. As for the stranger fact, apparently male ducks grow a new corkscrew-shaped penis every year. And female ducks have the ability to prevent the sperm of male ducks whose children they don't want to bear from reaching their uteruses. 
They can shunt this unwanted sperm off into the dead end within the vagina where it won't be able to fertilize the eggs. This ability is really important for female ducks as male ducks are known to frequently force themselves sexually on female ducks. The last, fest, uh, the last fact is about gender confusion. Some animals get to be both sexes, but not at the same time. The clownfish is born male, but when it matures, it can turn into a female if necessary. Nemo and his kind live in groups where <laughs> only one couple gets to have sex. So when that female dies, one of the larger males transforms into a female and the cycle continues. Similarly, some frog species have uh, will have members of the population change sex, either from male to female or female to male, in order to maintain the proper proportion, proportion of each gender to ensure the success of the group. Well, this is it for today. Hope you found the information interesting. Have a nice day and goodbye. <coughs> Well, that was interesting. Very. Those are some mm -hmm. sexually well-adjusted goats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. What a nice bit of trivia. Yeah. yeah. I'm too bad female humans can't do that sperm blocking thing. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> or have their vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I guess that about wraps up the show for today. Any recipes for today? Uh, I don't, can't even begin to think of what an appropriate recipe would be for today's <laughs> show. Me neither. I agree. Well, thanks everybody for joining us today. Thanks to all our chat participants and to my co-hosts. Uh, be sure to tune into the other Sot Talk radio show on Sunday. That's at noon Eastern time. Um, but you can go to radio.sot.net and find out what time that is in your local time zone. Uh, yeah. And we'll be back next week with another great show. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Take care. Bye.